Alright, well you're there in Hebrews chapter number 6, and I want to focus your attention on the first couple verses there in Hebrews chapter number 6, very beginning of the chapter. Hebrews chapter number 6, verse number 1, says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, and of laying on of hands, and of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. So, right here we get something that I would, you know, point out, and I go to this place a lot, and just when I'm referencing this specific subject to people, this is kind of the foundation of our beliefs. This is where we get our foundation, and this is something that as a new Christian, as a new believer, that we point out and that we look to, and hey, these are the things that you need to build everything on. You need to understand faith, you need to understand repentance, you need to understand baptism, the resurrection of the dead, laying out of hands, and of eternal judgment. And those are the things that we can kind of build everything else around. Now, in this church, especially if you're faithful to all three services, you listen to all the sermons, you're there for the extra discussions that we do, we're a pretty deep doctrinal church. We know a lot. We can get into a lot of discussions, and that's really good. And a lot of churches aren't that way at all. And a lot of churches you go into and you try to talk to the people about just anything in the Bible, and they'll look at you like you've got two heads or something because they don't know any of the Bible at all. You know, And the messages are really shallow. There's not a whole lot to them. So that's a problem, and that's obviously not what we want to do at all. But one of the dangers, and I don't think this is really a problem here, but I think it's just good to think about these things. One of the dangers of being a very deep doctrinal church is that we have the possibility to basically become where the only people that can feel welcome here are people that know a ton of the Bible. And where we kind of close ourselves off to people that are newer because they're not on the same level that we are. And I'll give you an example. This was a great discussion, but how many people were there when uh, we were all talking, literally spent the whole entire Sunday afternoon a couple weeks ago talking about Daniel's 70th week. Okay, I don't know how many people were here for that and here, but, you know, it was me, Pastor McMurtry, and uh, Brian was there. Um, Tom Black was here when he was there. And we, we were just talking literally for like three and a half hours. We, we pretty much ate and talked all the way up until we had to go to choir just about Daniel's 70th week the entire time. Now, we can do that here because we know the Bible, we understand prophecy, and we understand these different doctrines, and just having a real deep discussion. Now, imagine that we just got somebody saved, okay, this was their first Sunday here, and they came in and they're sitting there for three and a half hours listening to us talk to, about Daniel's 70th week. And they're trying to follow along. I mean, we're talking 100 miles an hour, 90 million words a minute or something, and they're trying to think and just, what is Daniel's 70th week? You know, they don't even know. So we have to make sure that while we might be deep doctrinally, we might know a lot of things about the Bible and we can have discussions like that, we can't make ourselves and make, you know, just everything to the point where people that don't know this stuff can't have a conversation with us and they can't talk to us. We have to make ourselves open to newer believers. First uh, Peter chapter number two. You don't have to worry about turning there if you don't want to. But First Peter chapter number two, in verses one and three, it says, "Wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious." Now, 
This is something that people are going to need to do too, is get to the milk of the word. Build that foundation. Because the problem is you have people come in and they might hear a discussion like that about Daniel's 70th week. And sometimes people can feel bad if they might not know about a subject that you're talking about. And so they might want to go and figure out Daniel's 70th week and figure out all this Bible prophecy. But the problem is if they're trying to build all this Bible prophecy on literally no foundation at all, they're going to get really messed up and they're going to really stunt their growth as a Christian in general. Because sometimes people can get themselves really puffed up with knowledge and know a lot of this stuff and know all these different things. They start putting their mind full of Bible prophecy and um, just deep stuff in the New Testament, deep stuff in the Old Testament, and just fill themselves with this deep stuff. But then they didn't take the time to lay the foundation of salvation by faith alone and not turning from your sins. They didn't take the time to lay the foundation of eternal judgment. They didn't take the time to do any of these things that we see in Hebrews chapter number 6. And I basically just want to point out that while a lot of people might be able to get to the point where they can handle the strong meat of the word and they can handle the doctrine and they can handle all these other things that there's other people that can't. And that's okay. That's just the point that they're at. Anybody in this room that can handle the strong meat of the word had to have had a point in their Christian life where they could only handle the milk of the word. And that's okay. That's just the point that you're at. The problem is if you get in and you're like five years in and you can still only handle the milk of the word, you're not growing at all. But the thing is, a brand new person shouldn't have to worry about handling the meat of the word. They should be able to handle the milk. That's what they're supposed to do. That's the point that they're at. And tonight specifically, I just want to talk about our relationship as mature Christians and assisting a baby Christian or assisting a newer Christian and helping them grow. So go to Galatians chapter number five. It's the first place I want you to go to. Galatians chapter number five. And one of the most important things that I think that you could teach a new Christian is about walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh. Because when you've got a wicked world like we have that's just on a bobsled morally going way down the toilet, just the world in general, that means that you're going to have new people coming in from the world that are going to be living a wicked lifestyle likely. Especially the later in life that they get saved, they might develop some bad habits. They might get drunk a lot. They might be on some kind of drugs. They could be living a just bad moral lifestyle. That doesn't mean that we just completely reject these people and want nothing to do with them. We have to reach them. We have to teach them the Bible and we have to help them through these things. But what they need to understand is that they can get victory over those things. And they don't get victory over those things just because of the fact that they get saved and then we just snap the fingers and their magic be all better. But that we can show them that there is a difference between walking in the flesh and walking in the spirit. And we can help them to be able to guide them on the path that's going to get them walking in the spirit rather than just fulfilling the lust of the flesh and walking in the flesh all the time. Now look in Galatians chapter number 5 if you're there. In verse number 16, the Bible says, This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, 
of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, if we're pulling people out of the world today, you know, let's just think about what if we're if just some random person from the world, just an average person in the world, were to walk in and be a part of this church service today. Let's just think about some of the things that they would probably look like when they're in here. They'd probably walk in wearing a mask. And all of us not wearing masks. I mean, I don't know how many people realize it. There have been multiple instances of visitors literally showing up to this church, getting their family out of the car and walking in here, walking in with their masks. They get up to the door and they see that people in here are not wearing masks and they turn around and leave. Okay, that, that's happened multiple times since back here. So someone might come in, you know, they, they might be wearing a mask. You know, obviously none of us are going to be wearing masks. So... We have to make sure, though, that we don't just look at that person and they just walk in and we all just start banging like a sheep at them, you know, or, you know, making fun of them or doing these other things. Because, look, here's the thing. If, if they think that they need to wear a mask in here, there's no sign on the door or anything, then maybe they're just watching way too much of the news or they're just so conditioned. That's just what you do literally everywhere you go. But the thing is, we don't need to make them feel bad about that. That's just the person that they are. They're an average person in our society today. You know, they might be, you know liberal politically you know they might think that a lot of the uh you know they might think that homos are okay they might think that you know fornication's okay they might think that any one of these things is okay look this is some serious stuff all right our society is on a really fast steep moral decline it gets worse and worse every single year but that does not mean that just because all these people all of a sudden get so bad that we just can't touch them with a 10-foot pole and we leave them away. We have to pull them out of the fire. We have to be able to continue on our Christian walk. We can't just say, oh, the world's getting so wicked. We want nothing to do with it. Let them all go to hell and we'll just kind of do our thing here. If we're not reaching people, our work as Christians will not be preserved. And I don't know how many people realize this and they think, oh, we're just going to be able to, you know, go on forward, this group of people here, we're all going to serve God together and we'll all grow and we'll all be good people. But the thing is, if that's all we do and we just sit here and we just know a lot of the Bible and we grow and we're living spiritually and we're all walking in the Spirit, but we never help anybody else, when we die, we will have left nothing behind at all. Even if we say, oh, we'll grow this church with just our kids, then the only thing we're doing is reaching our families. And then we have everybody else in the world, just because of the fact that they live in the world that we live in today, that's wicked and on a horrible moral decline, then all of a sudden we just say nuts to all those people. We don't have a choice. You know, and the thing is, sometimes people can get their mindset, too, and that this is the worst that it's ever been. You know, I think it's been way worse than this, especially when you just read through the New Testament and look at what they were doing then. Sure, the society as a whole might have been more moral and fornication might have been a lot more foreign and homosexuality was definitely foreign. But the thing is, they were literally just killing Christians just for preaching Jesus Christ. You know, just you see people now, you have politicians stand up just to kind of gain the Christian vote and they'll just, it's popular to say Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, that uh, that video of Trump 
from you know the last year of his presidency, and he was saying, "I'm not the greatest person in the world. Jesus Christ is. You know, I have to say that, or else I'll get struck with lightning or something." But he's like talking about that. But that's the thing. It's popular to say that. It's popular to say Jesus Christ is Lord. You say Jesus Christ is Lord back right after he died and right after he rose again from the dead and ascended into heaven. That's warrant for death. You know, it was a really, really bad place. They hated Jesus Christ worse than our society hates Jesus Christ today. So the thing is, yeah, it's bad in some areas, but it's also better in some areas than what they dealt with um, back in that day. So the thing is, we can't just say, well, because the world is bad, because the world is wicked, because the people are wicked, we just have to have nothing to do with them in order to spare ourselves and spare our church. You know, and I wanted to give this example today, too. And I was going to get to this a little bit later in the sermon, but just while I'm on this point right now, church can kind of become like a safe haven and a bubble for us. And I think it's a good thing. You know, uh, today while I was at work, there was this guy, he's usually not in the area that I work in, but he was in the freezer today. Man, this guy has a horrible mouth and just all day long, just literally just, I don't know why, he just thinks it's funny to just scream cuss words at the top of his lungs, you know, and like just run around and just scream dirty, perverted jokes. It was really bothering me. But then there was literally, I got moved out of the area that I was in. So I was working in the exact same area as him. And I had 20 minutes straight of this guy right behind me just screaming. You know, and I'm not like saying like scream. He was literally screaming just the most filthy, perverted things just because he thought it was funny. And it's like... You wonder if people just don't have any like social connection at all and they don't understand people and facial reactions. I'm literally not paying attention to this guy at all. It's just me and him. He's just screaming, dirty, perverted stuff and laughing. I'm not laughing with him. I'm not laughing at him. I'm just kind of trying to do my thing. He just continues doing it, spewing all the garbage. And I thought to myself, I'm glad that I can go home in like an hour and I don't have to hear this guy. I don't have to see this guy. I'm glad that I can go to church and I can be around a bunch of people that aren't going to talk like that and that aren't going to think like that and there's not going to be anything of that. But you know, when you bring a bunch of new believers in here, you kind of sacrifice that a little bit. Because especially if you have people that are coming out of our wicked society. I'm not saying that we just bring people in and just let them go crazy like that in the church. But I am saying that if you have somebody that lives in this world, and you know, it's a normal thing in this world that like every other word that comes out of your mouth is a cuss word. That's just how people talk in our society today. So you bring them in, and they decide, I'm going to start living like a Christian now. I'm going to clean my language up, and I know I'm at church. And I'm not supposed to talk like that. You know, if it's just a part of your daily language, it's just the way that you talk, it's pretty likely that every once in a while you might slip up, and you might let a word go. And you might say something that you shouldn't have said, and just because that's just the way that you talk. We have to deal with that. We have to be patient if we're wanting to work with people. We don't need to just walk around with a sledgehammer and just try to nail people and try to take people down. Rather, we have to teach them things from the Bible like walking in the Spirit rather than walking in the flesh. We have to teach them to put those things away and try to set those things aside rather than just sitting back and nailing these people all the time and just pointing out every single area that they're wrong. You know, and... um I was trying to think. So think about another example. So I used the masks earlier. They come in here with masks. Another thing that's different about this church and just about the way that we are to the uh, to people in the church that the world would look at and see is different 
is that pretty much all the women here only wear skirts and dresses. Okay, so a woman might come in here, she might be wearing pants, and she could feel out of place because she might look around and say, well, everybody's wearing skirts and dresses. Did you know, though, that the world has a completely different idea of what skirts and dresses are than Christians have an idea of what skirts and dresses are? If you go to the store and say, you know, my wife has dealt with this, I can't even tell you how many times, just go into the store and say, I'm going to buy skirts and dresses, and the only options she has is a skirt that goes like halfway up the thigh. And, you know, she doesn't want to wear that, and I don't want her to wear that. But the thing is, if you go to the store and you're a woman and you own skirts and dresses and you just live in the world today, you're probably going to have a lot of really short skirts and a lot of short dresses. So if you get the idea that you're a woman and you see everybody else is wearing skirts and dresses and they're not wearing pants, and then you go home and think, well, I'm going to wear a skirt or I'm going to wear a dress to church, and then a woman walks in here with a skirt that goes like halfway up the thigh or a dress that goes halfway up the thigh, it's not like we should condone that and not like we should be okay with that, but you can tell when someone tries to do something out of the goodness of their heart. And you know, and they're not trying to come in here and just show off to everybody and be a distraction, but they're coming in here like, hey, I'm trying to turn things around, I'm trying to live my life right, and they just think, well, I know that I'm supposed to wear a skirt and dress to church, so I came to church in a skirt or a dress. You know, what you shouldn't do is just give them a bunch of dirty looks and not talk to them and not be inviting and not be welcoming. Because the thing is, likely after a while, after one or two like weird looks that they're just going to get normally, you know, for wearing that and just being out of place, they're going to realize what they were doing, you know, and they're going to realize that they look different. They're going to understand the modesty behind it. You know, you can't just run these people off just because they look weird or they might look a little bit different. They're from the world. Think about when you were from the world and what you looked like. And think about the lifestyle that you lived and the grace that other people gave you. Look, I'm a product of Jesus Christ, and I'm a product of the salvation that he gave to me. I'm a product of God's word. But you know what I'm also a product of? Is tons of people that had influence in my life that helped me along the way, that were saved way before I was saved, that knew way more of the Bible than I knew the moment that I got saved, and they helped me along. If I didn't have a lot of those people, I don't know where I would be today. And, you know, if we don't help these new believers, if we don't help them get on the right path, they're not going to get on the right path. And then we can't scratch our heads and wonder why they're going to some, you know, church that's just going to fulfill all their lusts and all their desires of their flesh, that they're going to be able to walk in dressed horribly and it's not going to be that big of a deal. They're going to be able to go to a church that teaches horrible doctrine that has completely thrown the foundations of Hebrews chapter 6 away. They're going to do that, but then we can't sit back and scratch our heads wondering why did that person go off that way. Well, maybe because we were total jerks to them when they came in here. You know, and I'm not saying this is something that happens, but I guarantee you this happens all the time. And just people coming into church, and sometimes you might not even realize that you do it. You know, but we cannot just be totally uh, put offish to people and just throw them out just because we don't like the way that they look, because they're going to be a lot of work. And I want to touch on that. Go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter number 12, and if you're just honest with this subject, and you just really think about um, the subjects with it, when you're dealing with new believers as a mature Christian, it is a lot of work, all right? It's not easy. It's not, you know, and sometimes we have the luxury, because we'll have people that listen to the preaching online, and that have listened to preaching online for years, and that they come into this church, and they're just 
you know, they've got years worth of Bible preaching in their head before they even step foot in the building. And so we have kind of a luxury that we have a lot of people that aren't really just new baby Christians when they walk in. They already know a lot of stuff. If we get someone saved just out here and they start coming to this church, it's going to be a whole lot different than someone who makes like a two-hour drive out here from Chicago or from somewhere else that wants to visit here because they heard our preaching online and has listened to the preaching for a while and they've read the Bible cover to cover. They're going to be way, way different. Okay, and it's a lot of work. You give up the, you know, the time that we get to spend talking about Daniel's 70th week for an entire Sunday afternoon because you might have a visitor that comes and that visitor doesn't want to sit there and feel out of place while you just spout off about how much of the Bible you know all the time. They might need to have a question or a discussion about the foundations. You know, I'm not saying don't talk about the Bible, but maybe talk about a lighter subject like salvation by faith alone. Maybe talk about eternal security. Maybe talk about walking in the spirit rather than walking in the flesh, helping them along with some of the things. And I don't know how many of you turned to First Peter, but don't worry about turning there. Stay in Luke chapter number 12. But one of the things that it points out in First Peter chapter number 2, before it talks about getting into the milk of the word, you know what it talks about before that is putting off a lot of the wicked behaviors and lifestyles that you did first. It's telling you immediately, hey, put away the evil surmisings, put away the strife, put away the envyings, and then get into the milk of the word. These people have to get that stuff out of their head. You don't want them just continuing to walk in the flesh, but then pick up the Bible and expect to learn anything if they're continually walking in the flesh. These are things that they need help with. Okay, It's not something that they're just going to snap their fingers and everything's just going to magically fall into place. They need help with that. And the job of the people to help them is the mature Christians who have already done this stuff and are a little bit further down the road on their Christian walk. They might need help along by them. But look in Luke chapter number 12. You say, I don't want a bunch of new believers to come in here because that's a bunch of work and we need to worry about that. Well, look in Luke chapter number 12. Give verse number 42. Luke chapter number 12, verse 42, it says, And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if thy servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming and shall beat and begin to beat the men servants and maidens to eat and to drink and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him and an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in sunder and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, notice this, which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself neither did according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes, for unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall be much required, and to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. So notice that there's two people at the end here, and I get that this is a parable and it's over a different subject, but I'm going to use the parable and just the idea that he's talking about here. There's two different people. There's ones that knew and that they didn't do the things that they were supposed to do. And there's people that didn't know and because they didn't know, didn't do the things that they were supposed to do. And in the Christian life and in the Christian walk, we have certain responsibilities. We have the responsibility to go out and reach the world with the gospel. 
we have the responsibility to live in a way that positively represents the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we shouldn't just live bad lifestyles and live wicked, sinful behaviors in the place of just, you know, saying that we're saved by faith alone and so we can do all this stuff. We need to be living a good testimony for the Lord, but there's new people. They might be saved, but they don't understand that yet. You say, well, we have all these new believers come in and they might cuss every once in a while or they might smell bad. Literally, just that's another thing in this world, just bad hygiene. That's something that people do. And, you know, I don't know what it is, but for some reason, you just in today's society, you need to help adults, you know, not smell like trash. And, you know, I, I don't know why that is or what that is. But if someone comes in here and they smell like garbage, don't tell them that they smell like garbage. Be a friend to them. And then maybe down the road, gently tell them, you know. Take a shower before you come to church, you know, because for some reason people just don't do that. But, you know, but that's the thing. So we have to deal with a lot of junk from people and we have to deal with a lot. But you know what? Anybody that is in here today that is faithful to church, that loves God, that reads the Bible, that has a good prayer life, that walks in the spirit and they don't walk in the flesh, you were given much. You were one of these people in this parable that was given much. And you know the Lord's will, and God holds you accountable for that. You know, there's a lot of people out there that, yes, they've been given God's word, and yes, they've been given the opportunity to come to church, and yes, they might forsake the assembly every once in a while, and they might not come, but they might not have ever had anybody tell them, hey, you're supposed to do all these things. You're supposed to read the Bible. There's a lot of people. I remember when I was a kid, and I heard, you know, we went to random churches all the time, and I'd hear pastors get up and just preach sermons. And I'd think to myself, man, how in the world do they know where that Bible verse is? Or how in the world did they get up and, you know, be able to connect that passage to that passage back there? It literally was a foreign concept to me that people actually sat down and read the Bible. I didn't think that you could read the Bible. I thought that the Bible was just a bunch of, you know, random texts that might not have really connected that well. There are, I, I would venture as far to say that the majority of the world today, or in the majority of the United States, does not think that the Bible is a book that you just sit down and read on a regular occasion. So we get someone saved out soul winning. Think about this, how often this happens. You get someone saved out soul winning, like, here's a Bible, read the book of John. They might think to themselves, read the book of John. You know, especially the world that we live in, and you just have you know, just single Bible verses all the time, just posted on Facebook. Oh, I like what this Bible verse says. I like what this Bible verse says. But it's like what people just can't connect the gears in their head is that all those Bible verses connect and they tell a story. And you can read it off the page and it actually reads like a book. But people don't know that. Literally, people don't know that. They might need someone to tell them. And the point that I'm trying to make is you, in your Christian walk, Today, if you're reading the Bible on a regular basis, someone helped you get to that point. Someone gave you a Bible and told you, read the Bible. You might have listened to a sermon where someone said, read the Bible. If you have a prayer life, it's because someone taught you to have a prayer life. And you say, well, maybe not. The disciples of Jesus Christ that walk with him specifically had to ask him about prayer. And he helped them. And he taught them. People were taught to read the Bible. You look back in the Old Testament and how much they reverenced God's word. They put it up on their doorposts. You have people just, you know, carrying around the word of God and they would just have services in the temples where they would just come just to hear the Bible read. 
You know, and these are things that are reverenced highly, but the Word of God is not reverenced highly in our society today. It is a foreign concept for people in the world to read the Bible and understand it and pick it up and learn it. We have to help them. And you say, well, I don't want all these people coming into the church and, you know, corrupting our area. And maybe they don't dress right. Maybe they don't talk right. Maybe they don't do all these other things right. Give them the same thing that someone else gave to you. We don't have the option to just say nuts to these people and that we don't want to deal with them. We have to deal with their problems because, face it, they are the people, first of all, that we need to reach in the first place just so they could be saved and not go to hell, but also because we're trying to expand. You know, we know that we win in the end, but I'd like to have a decent life while I'm here in the first place. I'd like there to be more Christians in this country and more Christians in this town and more Christians in this world than not. You know, I think it's better when we have more people on our side. It's discouraging when you read uh, all the comments from that whole thing in Dixon where they tried to have the homo parade, they tried to do all these things, and then you just see all these people living among us that were just heartbroken at the fact that a bunch of queers couldn't march up and down the street for days on end and, you know, we're the weird ones, you know, for thinking that that's not normal. You know, but the thing is, that's not fun. You know, we can sit back and be like, man, look at all these people. They were coming after us. And you, you have the whole thing with our church right before COVID. You have all these local people mad, fired up. They're going to protest. They're going to do this. You have Facebook posts made. You have YouTube videos made about our church. And look, we can sit back and talk about, you know, that we're glorying in the tribulation and everything's fine. But look, it's not fun to have people nail you. It's not fun. So it's better if we can reach more people and just imagine how great it would be in this country if the majority of this country was unified on the death penalty for sodomites or was unified on just the fact that they're not normal and they shouldn't be in our society at all. I mean, imagine that. Rather than you just have the majority of our society foaming at the mouth, supporting these people anytime they get the opportunity to. But you know whose fault that is? It's Christian's fault. Because it used to be that way. And all of a sudden it's not now. And you can sit back and you can blame Hollywood and you can blame, you know, the news media and you can blame all these places that, yeah, are pushing this propaganda on society as much as possible. But if Christians would have actually taken the due diligence of the time a hundred years ago, 50 years ago, when this message was popular, that kind of garbage would not be happening in our society today. I don't care how many billions of dollars you pump into Hollywood, you're not going to change my mind on the issue of the sodomites. Because I've been taught, and I see it in the Bible, and I hold the Bible and reverence it as the Word of God. But we have previous generations that have failed this country, which is why we're in the position of a nation that we are today. So we have to teach these people all over again. We have to wipe the slate completely clean, and show them the Bible and show them what the Bible teaches and what the Bible says. We need to give these people what someone gave us. And we have to give them the same grace. I mean, I thank God that every time, because I used to have a horrible mouth before I got saved. And I pretty much imagine anybody that got saved later in life had developed a pretty bad set of language. Or do I be right there? Anyone that got saved later in life, you had a pretty bad mouth before you got saved? That, because that's the world that we live in. You know, and people that grow up in Christian homes, thank God that you don't have that. But look, that's just normal for people to have today. It's not good, but it's normal. And so I thank God that when I first got saved, I decided I don't want to talk like that anymore. But when I'm literally changing the way that I speak, it's going to slip out every once in a while. I'm going to make a mistake. I'm going to say that word or words again. 
it's nice when you have people there that don't just have a hammer ready to just pound you down every time you slip up. And the last thing that a new believer that's honestly fragile as it is, as a newborn babe in Christ that doesn't really know a lot of the Bible, that's probably dealing with a lot of garbage. I mean, I remember when I got saved, I lost a lot of my friends because I didn't want to keep on doing a lot of the garbage that they were involved in. And so I lost a lot of friends. That was a fragile time in my life. You know, if I had a bunch of people ready to just pounce on me every time I made a mistake, I probably just would have went back to that lifestyle. You know, I probably would have just went back to hanging out with my friends, partying and doing all the other garbage that we did. Because who wants to live a life where it's like, hey, lose all your friends, forsake literally everything, and in exchange for forsaking all of your friends, you get a bunch of new friends that are just kind of holding a magnifying glass over your head and waiting for you to slip up and punishing you every single time you do it. Nobody wants friends like that. And, you know, especially us as mature Christians who have had the grace of God bestowed on us and we've had Jesus Christ cleanse and save us from all of our sins. He's been a friend to us. He's there making intercession for us. He is the mediator between God and man and he loves us. How much more than we who are wicked people when Jesus Christ wasn't wicked should love our brothers and sisters in Christ that are newer and try to help them along and try to help them walk in the spirit rather than walk in the flesh and help them literally reshape their world and learn what it means to be a Christian and get out of this wicked world. That's something that we need to do, and we need to give them that. Now, go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. I want to make a point here. We're supposed to love these people, and we're supposed to give these people grace. That doesn't mean, though, that we just compromise on everything. And that we just throw all morality out the window and that we just say, well, these things don't matter. But I do want to make this point. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, don't worry about turning there, but 1 Corinthians 13 verse 4 says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. So when we have new people come in, and we have people that have been from the world, we need patience. We need love. Because you got saved, you didn't just have the snap of the fingers and all of a sudden you looked like you'd been a Christian for the last five, ten years. You took time to get you to the point that you're at today. And hopefully, five to ten years from now, you won't look like someone that's been saved for however long you've been saved. And you'll look like you've been saved five to ten years longer than that. And you're growing closer to the Lord every day based off things you're doing in your daily prayer life, your daily Bible reading, and this daily battle between the flesh and the spirit. You're closing those doors. You're getting better over time. But don't just look at these people and expect, you know, okay, I gave them the information about the things that they're not supposed to do. And then they messed up. Why did they mess up? Have patience with them. You messed up. You made mistakes. You got backslidden at some point. There's no way that you didn't. Everybody does. It's a daily battle between the spirit and the flesh as it is. And you know, the more often that you give victory to the spirit over the flesh, the harder it's going to be back to the flesh. But this flesh will be present with us until the day that we die. And we do, on a daily basis, have to fight against the flesh. That's where people let themselves slide, is that they basically think that they've arrived at their point in Christianity, and they don't think that they need to worry about the flesh anymore, and then the flesh just sneaks up and kills them, you know, or gets involved in, 
you know, gets them involved in pornography, gets them involved in drugs, gets them involved in alcohol, because they're not paying attention and they're not vigilant against that. Satan would love nothing more than to just get every Christian right back into the flesh and right back into the cycle that they were rescued out of by Jesus Christ. I don't believe in all this stuff of that, you know, you get saved and you automatically just give up all your sins and you automatically quit sinning and you automatically get away from all this stuff. But that being said, when you're a new Christian, you should get away from all that stuff. You should put your flesh behind you. You should put all those things that you used to do in the past that were wicked and that were against God's word behind you. But if we're trying to help people and we're trying to give people this information, we've received much, so we want to give them much. We're walking in the spirit now. We want to help them walk in the spirit and say no to the flesh. You still have to have patience with these people. It's not going to be a snap of the fingers. And I think sometimes people get that mindset because you go out soul winning and you find people that aren't saved and it takes like five to ten minutes and you get them saved. It's like, wow, look at this milestone. Look at this progress. You get them in the church. You can get them baptized. and It's just, wow, snap of the fingers. But then it's like teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you is not a snap of the fingers. It is years and years and years long of a process and you're not the only person that's going to have influence in that person's life. It's going to take a long time to have them change the way that they lived. I mean, literally, you're thinking about people, especially they get saved later in life, they've had like 20, 30, 40 years of the world teaching them how to be a person in the world. And you know what they become? A person in the world. Okay, and then all of a sudden, we get them saved, we get them to come to like one or two church services, and then just expect, oh, they're going to throw 40 years of life experiences away because they came to church one or two times and now they're just a conservative, independent, fundamental Baptist. No chance. It takes a long time to rid your mind of that stuff and they need us walking by their side, not just reminding them all the time of all the places that they failed in or all the places that they're currently failing in, but helping them along and giving them grace every step of the way. But that being said, that does not mean that we compromise on areas where the Bible specifically tells us not to compromise. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter number 5 and verse number 6 says, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous, or extortioners, or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator, or covetous, or an idolater, or railer, or a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such an one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judges. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Now, here's the thing. Someone could be listening to the message and think, oh, okay, so new believers and the world is wicked and there's a lot of wickedness going on in society and think, well, great, I guess that just means that someone's a fornicator they can come in and someone that is a, you know, severe alcoholic and all these other things and anything mentioned in first Corinthians chapter number five and just think, well, it's okay because they're a new believer. Well, here's a standard that God gave. 
Okay. In verse number 11, it says, But I have written unto you not to keep company. Notice who this is. Any man that is called a brother, and then it lists off, be a fornicator, be covetous, any of these things. So this means we love these people, we be patient with these people, but if they're guilty of these things, it's not like it's going to change if it's someone that's been in church for five to ten years gets involved in fornication or becomes an alcoholic or becomes covetous or any of these other things, severely covetous, any of these things that we see in this passage. This is still something that we have to follow. And this is the thing that's the best thing for everybody because ultimately the Great Commission is about reaching people and it's about reaching the world, but it's also the teaching them to observe all things part is about the preservation of the church and about going forward and teaching the Word of God. The last thing that we need is the church to be corrupted with a bunch of fornication and a bunch of other wickedness. And the Bible says that a little leaven leaveneth a whole lump. So you can't just say under the guise of, well, they're a new believer well, we need them in here, you know, to help them along. No, the Bible says the way that you help people like this along is you put them out from among you, that you don't even eat with these people. That's just what the Bible says, and that seems counterproductive, and that seems like you're not going to help them, but that's what God's advice is. And the thing is, you put them out for a little while. If they quit and they get back into it, then they can be welcomed back. It's not like this is just put that person away from you forever. It's just a period of time until they get out of that behavior and then they come back. And that's what God recommends to do. Now, our logic might tell us that we hold their hand all the way through and that we don't let them get away from church and we don't let them get involved in this stuff. But the Bible tells us that we put these people out from us because at the end of the day, we are wanting to reach people, we are wanting to help people, and we are wanting to not let this stuff you know, get in the way of us. We want to, even though the world is wicked, go out and help people in the world, but that doesn't mean that we just let the world come in and take over our church in the process of it and fill it with fornication and drunkenness and all this other garbage. There has to be a line. And I think 1 Corinthians chapter 5 gives a pretty hard line that we just say, we don't cross. And I think anything up to these points, you give grace to people and you try to help people along and you slowly, and you can tell someone's heart too. It's not just like, you know, watch the person dancing right along the line to see how bad of a sinful lifestyle they can live before they get kicked out of church. There are people that genuinely try to live a good life and they try to clean their lives up and they try to live a good life and they're working on it. You can tell those people apart from the people that are just kind of there and, you know, hanging out, not really taking anything seriously. You know, but we look into these people, we can see that the Bible gives a clear line of where the grace has to stop and where the church has to take priority over the one person that is involved in a really wicked sin, just because our society has lowered the bar on fornication and we have it just rampant in our society does not mean that it is okay and it is allowed to be in church. That is one area there has to be a line drawn and any of these other things mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5, we can't just say under the guise, give them grace, you know, let it go, compromise on everything that you believe in, Help the new believers. No, we help the new believers, but if the Bible gives a clear line like it gives here, we have to cut it off at some point. But go to Philippians chapter number 3. That's the last place I'll have you turn. Philippians chapter number 3. As you're turning there, I'll read for you Ecclesiastes chapter number 4. And verses 9 and 10, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow... But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Now, 
I was just kind of thinking about this. I don't know how valid this is for this specific passage, but think about in the book of Genesis when you look at marriage and you see that two are become one flesh. Now, I might be out to lunch on this issue, but Ecclesiastes chapter 4 talks about two are better than one, and it talks about one falling down and lifting another up. There's a lot of people out there that have this real just complete separatedness idea in their mind, and they just think that like the only friends that I'm going to have, the only people that I'm going to have communication with is just my family. And like I'm going to have my wife and my kids, and that's it, because the whole rest of the world is wicked. You know, they might come to church and they might just kind of leave as soon as the doors are open and just come in right at the beginning of service and just be separated from everybody. There's a lot of people that think that they can just go through life only with their family, having no friends at all. You will fail if you try to do that. I have never seen anybody be successful with just by themselves trying to succeed. Not having any friends, not having any a good walk with the Lord, not having any people around them that are also doing the same exact thing that they're doing. You know, it would be like, I don't know, say that someone came in here and they said, hey, I'm trying to lose weight, you know, and then it's like every person in the church is having a contest that month to see who can eat the most calories. And then we're just surrounding this one person that's trying to cut down on calories but then every person in the church is just coming in and just comparing. I had like five Big Macs today. I had three donuts for breakfast and I did every one of these things. And then we're surrounding this person that's trying to lose the weight and just stuffing our faces all around them. That person will not succeed in the goal that they want to do. But you know, out in the world, you have a lot of people that get saved and they're ready to go and they want to start living for the Lord. But then every single person surrounding them in their lives has never done any of that stuff before. They're not going for it. They don't want to live that way. And the thing is, if they're trying to have a successful Christian life, the way that they have a successful Christian life is surrounding themselves with other Christians. And that sometimes means that you replace the people that you used to be close with, with Christians. And you know, all that sounds easy. A lot of people in here have probably done that. And you might remember back to the time when you lost a lot of those people that you've been close with for years and years and years. And you know what? It's not easy. It's not easy to just kiss goodbye to all the friends that you used to have and you got close relationships with that you shared experiences with. But you know what? At the end of the day, it's about serving the Lord. And those are sometimes just sacrifices that you need to make. But, you know, it makes those sacrifices a lot easier. And it made those sacrifices a lot easier for me to know that I had people around me that loved God, that loved the Bible, and they were able to step in and be a friend to me and give me grace. And if I didn't have those people in my life, then the Christian life to me would have been miserable and bad. But you know what? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, all these things. It's not about just a constant suffering. It's not about sorrow. We can have peace through Jesus Christ, and sometimes that peace comes from just having yourself surrounded by a lot of other people that love God. I think it's one of the benefits of this church, and it's great about this church. A lot of us have come from different backgrounds, but we have one thing in common, Jesus Christ. And we all love God, we love the Bible, and we come together, and I think we're a lot of great friends in this church. You know, I mention it all the time, this is not normal, what we have here. It's not normal to come to church and be friends with people. And it's not normal to be done with service and everybody just not walk out the door and just go home as fast as they can because they don't like the people in the church. This is something great, and this is something special here, 
And I think a lot of the great things that we're able to do from this church is honestly, yes, it's built upon the Bible. Yes, it's built upon us all doing the things that we're supposed to do, that God told us to do. But it's also built because we're doing these things together and because we're unified and because we're all friends. And I don't really think there are a bunch of enemies or infighting. And I might just be blind to it. But I don't think that there's some kind of fighting going on and some kind of drama. I think we all are, get along pretty well. And I think that's one of the reasons why our church is doing a lot of the great things that it's doing. It's able to do a lot of the great things we're doing. It's a unified goal in mind. And a new believer, the best thing that we can do for them is plug them into a situation like our church where everybody gets along, everybody's friends, and we're welcoming and can be friends with them because otherwise they're just off dealing with all this stuff on their own. And they're off dealing with, you know, living a life that used to be wicked, but now they're trying to figure out how to walk in the Spirit on their own. They're trying to figure out how to leave behind the sinful flesh of the world. And I think one of the reasons that we'll go out and we'll get a bunch of people saved, and then we wonder, why don't these people come to church? Maybe it's because all the influences in their life are pressing them not to do that. Maybe it's because of the TV that they watch. Maybe it's because of the bad stuff that they're interested in, or just all the people that are friends with them are telling them, hey, don't go to that church. I guarantee, I, I can think of one specific guy that visited this church and we were really excited about it. Some of you guys might remember him. I'm not going to say his name because what if he comes in sometime later. But this guy came. He seemed really excited. He seemed to really like the place. And you just never saw him again. And honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if he had a bunch of people in his life telling him, don't go to that church. Because we were talking about um, me working out at the distribution center, and he was telling me about people that he knew out there, and I'm like, yeah, I know that guy. It wouldn't surprise me if he went and was talking to those guys about, hey, I went to this church. Because everybody at the distribution center knows about our church, that you know all the stuff with the homos. It wouldn't surprise me if that guy went and was talking to his friends about our church and then was told, oh, don't go there. They're against homos and against all these other things. But, I mean, there's people all the time that you just knock on their door out soul winning, and you can tell them, Liberty Baptist Church. And it's like, you used to be able to say, I'm not the Jehovah's Witnesses, I'm not the Mormons, I'm the Baptists. You know, now it's like you tell them Liberty Baptists, it's especially, no, not interested. You know, but, so it wouldn't surprise me if things like that happen, but why does that happen? Because of their influences around them. Because of the friends that they have around them. And the Bible says that if we surround ourselves with friends, if we surround ourselves with wise people, and we get on a unified goal, that we can all press forward together, and we can leave behind the things of this flesh, we can leave behind the things of the world, and press toward the mark of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what it says here in Philippians chapter number 3. Look in Philippians chapter 3, if you're there, verse number 8. It says, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, notice this, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul had a different story than most of us probably had. 
I don't think anybody here had a background of just killing Christians and, you know, hunting people down and being like the chief that did that. I don't think anybody in here did that. But the thing is, we all have some kind of background. Even if you grew up in a Christian home, you have some kind of background. Everybody here does. And what we have to do and what our responsibility is to do all together, and we're going to see that in the next couple of verses in a second, all together, we forget the things that were behind us. Yes, you can kind of keep it in your head of like, hey, I used to do this, but you don't let that baggage just hang on you your whole life. Don't let the baggage hang on you of your past and what you did in the past. Press forward all together. You can say, oh, well, I was, I did this and I did that. And, you know, I was a drunkard or I was this or I was that. You put those things behind you. You can know that you did it and you can keep those things there so that when the new believer comes in and thinks, man, well, the reason that you're not the way that I am is because you never did any of this stuff. It's helpful to be like, yeah, actually, I did do that stuff. But through reading the Bible and through the victory over the flesh that I got, you can have this same life too. But at the same time, you can't just let yourself carry around the idea, I was a really wicked person before. I did a bunch of garbage in the past. I have a lot of baggage in my life. You put that stuff away from you. You put that stuff off of you and you press forward to the mark of Jesus Christ. Imagine trying to get over, you're serving God now and the Apostle Paul you're serving Jesus Christ, you're facing persecution, you're doing all these things. Imagine him facing all this persecution when he was literally the one years before that was the persecutioner, that was the person going out, hunting down the Christians, killing the Christians. Imagine living that lifestyle. But the thing is, in order to be successful, he couldn't just sit back and think about that all the time. He couldn't just think about how he was the one that would be throwing the stones or he was the one that would be hunting these people down he had to put those things off of him. And he had to forget about them and press toward the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ. Look at verse number 15. It says, Let us therefore, as many as be perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Nevertheless, whereto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us mind the same thing. Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. For many walk of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. And the last point that I want to make here to close this sermon is that, yes, we as mature Christians have a large responsibility of helping new believers and helping them through and living a Christian life. But you know what? We're on the same path that they are. We still daily have to choose to walk in the spirit rather than walk in the flesh. We have to die daily to these things. We still, on a regular basis, have to put off the old things. We have to put our past behind us. Because your past can creep up on you. And your past can remind you of the wicked person that you were before you got saved. And the past can tell you about all the mistakes that you made. And even the mistakes that you make now. You know, no one in this room is perfect. And no one in this room is ever going to be perfect. But to the outside world, when you're dealing with new believers, sometimes they can come into a church and think, wow, everybody here is perfect. 
You know, but we all have to be able to sit back and understand, hey, it's not just the new believers that are going through this journey. It's every single person in this room. But the way that we are able to accomplish these things and the way that we're able to press toward the mark of the high calling of Jesus Christ is unity together doing it. Realizing, hey, every single person in this room has to fight against the flesh on a daily basis. Every single person in this room has some kind of past that they're coming from and that they're now serving God with. And we can give people grace, but the thing is, we all can be together. And we all can fight against the flesh together. We can all hold each other accountable. We can all serve God together. We can say on the days that we don't want to serve God, that there's, I'm glad for the days that I don't want to go out soul winning and that I don't want to serve God, that I have people and I have friends in this church that want to go out soul winning that day. And then it makes me get up and go do it. Or that, you know, want to talk about the Bible rather than me sit back and talk about football or something. You know, I'm into football and I like football, but you know what? It's better to talk about the Bible than it is to talk about football. You know, and I can spend my time at work talking to random people about football or something if I want to. But it's nice to be able to just come to a place where we have people that love God and that love the Bible. And we can do great things as a local church together, but just as individuals too on an individual basis by being unified and deciding we're going to walk toward Jesus Christ and we're going to take others with us on the way. And that is the message of the Bible. And ultimately, that's the message of the Great Commission, that we go out and we try to reach these people and we bring them along on the journey with us. None of us have arrived yet and none of us will arrive until the day that we die and we go to be with the Lord in heaven. But in the meantime, we can help other people and not take them to the place that we're at, but take them along on the journey with us. So with that, let's close in a word of prayer. So, Father, thank you so much for this day, and thank you so much for the opportunity to preach tonight, Lord. And I pray that you just help us to be mindful of new believers, Lord, and not to create an environment where only people that are very deep doctrinally and know a lot about the Bible can thrive. But I pray that you just help us to be able to be a light to the world and that you'd help us to be able to uh, help these people along, Lord, and that we could give people the same grace that others gave to us and helped us along in our Christian walk, Lord. In Jesus' name.